0: Welcome to the Next Wave Radio Hour from WERU Community Radio, a program featuring folks around their 20s and 30s from across Maine. I'm your host, Olivia Peruk, and I use she, her pronouns. In this show, I hope to provide you with unique perspectives of life from the next generation working to create the future they hope to see. In this episode, I talk with Elizabeth Walsoni and Phelan Gallinger. My first guest is Elizabeth, and we discuss being a reporter, finding belonging in Maine, and staying curious. generally starting, welcome. Thank you for being on Next Wave Radio Hour. So if you just want to state your name, preferred pronouns, and then kind of your job title or what, what you do for a living.
1: Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Elizabeth Wallstoney. My pronouns are she, her, and primarily I'm a reporter for the Lincoln County News in Newcastle. And I also like to write on my own time and kind of really do a lot of different things, but
0: that's my day job right now. That's so cool. And I mean, I, I think like in so many ways, you can just jump in with, with all that um, juicy goodness. But maybe how I often like to start is, is to bring our viewers into the context of Elizabeth and go all the way back to like baby or younger Elizabeth. Kind of where did you grow up? How, how was those early foundations in your life?
1: Sure. Um, I grew up moving around a lot. Um, kind of around the East Coast, and I spent the largest amount of time in New Mexico as a kid, and then up in the Midwest. And by, I guess, reason for being here is my mother's family is from Maine, and we spent some time here when I was a kid, and as long as I can remember, I felt this was where I wanted to be. Um, and, you know, <laughs> moving around a lot, I always was writing Um, all the time. So I was an only child and sometimes we lived in more rural places and so I kind of spent a lot of time exploring the world that way. Um, I also grew up pretty involved in farming in various ways so those were kind of my two big things and I went to school in Michigan for geography and I had a writing minor and then after graduation I worked on a couple farms and then I ended up at the paper.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So it seems like, yeah, moving around a lot, kind of exploring different things and, and farming. And is there any like particular farming? Was it more like gardening or with livestock? What what was the, what were you doing on the farm? Yeah, <laughs>
1: um, a bit of both. So I think we were just kind of always around vegetable farms and I remember um, at one point we were living in Baltimore and my mom and I would go on these journeys to Amish farm stands and things like that. Yeah, and when I was living in New Mexico, we had neighbors who had ranches. So I worked for quite a long time on an alpaca farm, our neighbor had, Um, and something fun she had for the kids was we would train them to do obstacle courses The the alpacas? Yes, (laughs) which they did not like doing at all, but (laughs) um, that was like the county and state fair and things like that, which is usually my fun fact whenever I am asked for one. Um, (laughs) And then mostly after that, it was uh, I interned at a community garden. Um, I worked at a farm museum when I was living outside Chicago, and they also had livestock. And then through college, I worked on a small goat dairy part-time, which was great. And then after graduation I spent a full season on a commercial organic vegetable farm, which was extremely intense. <laughs> and then after that I spent another season in Dresden, Maine. Um I was working on a no till berry and herb farm. So I've very got, cool. Yeah. Nice range of experience.
0: Yeah. I it definitely sounds like it for sure, which is really cool. Um I don't want to totally jump the gun, but I'm, I'm so <laughs> curious how, what, you know, at the paper now, if, do you write about farming or gardening, or, or is it a, a totally different angle? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great
1: question. I do when I can. The paper is really nice because we're focused just on Lincoln County, and so the model is community journalism. So oh, that nice. means, yeah, I'm responsible for breaking news and municipal government, school board meetings, and things like that. But we also have a lot of editorial freedom to write about the things we're interested in. And there are a lot of people in Maine who farm. So when I can, I do like to branch out, write about those things. It is something that I miss doing directly. Mm -hmm. um, Because I think that growing up working outside in any capacity was a constant for me. Wherever Mm -hmm. I was, you know, there's always someone with animals or somewhere you can... uh, plant some tomatoes. <laughs> but
0: it does, I think, direct some of what I like to write about at the paper. Yeah, I think it, it's so interesting to see the line of work we fall into. And it, it does seem like farming and, and that really instilled like that early kind of foundation. Um, so I'm wondering where where the writing came from. What What were those early passions? That's a great question. And it's something that I've
1: tried to isolate.
0: (laughs) Fair enough, it can be hard.
1: Yeah, which is in another way, it's great that I can't isolate it because it's just always been there and it's just Mm. always been what I've wanted to do. I remember when I was young being so frustrated that I didn't know how to read because (laughs) I would, you know, see a sign and I didn't know what it meant or I felt like there was this whole part of the world that I could access by being able to write. Mm. Um, And so I I don't know if this is really true, but the story of my family is that I taught myself to read because I was impatient. (laughs) And um, yeah, I was just always writing. And when I was younger, I think it was a bit more to entertain myself as a kid, you know, come up with things. And as I got older, I also did that, but it also became a way to, I think, kind of process and understand my life. Mm -hmm. So that did lead to the newspaper, although it wasn't something I had set out to do, like, oh, I mm-hmm. want to be a journalist. But I think having a lot of curiosity naturally, which may be part of having moved around so much, too, that mm-hmm. there was always something new and something else to figure out and um, learn about. So I've enjoyed it in that sense as kind of metabolizing my life <laughs> <laughs> and also reaching other people. Um, I also wrote and published like short stories and small essays when I had a bit more time before I was at the paper and I still do that on the side but um, it took me quite a while I think to feel that it was something that I could actually do and reach people with. Mm. I don't know if this was something about maybe growing up in the recession or just the way people talk about work but I had always thought well I love to write but it's impossible to make it and Mm. there's no opportunity there unless you're the best person in the world. And so there were a few years when I was a teenager that I kind of had put it to the side. Um, But I think kind of rambling a little bit now, but I think I've found that leaning into what you know you can do really naturally and whatever you can't put down (laughs) will in various ways lead you to good places where you can do things and feel effective.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I I think that's such a poignant point that you you mentioned this kind of idea. You know, depending on what career that you want to go into, sometimes there's the feeling that it isn't attainable or especially I know a lot of more artistic fields or ones that, you know, that there just doesn't always feel like the security there. And and so it's kind of nice that in a way it, it felt like early on, maybe that was Rhetoric influenced a decision to to not go in that path, but but ending up there. I wonder if you have any advice for people who who may also have similar things, or just was there any in particular, maybe point of advice or or something you gained that that gave you the confidence to to go for it.
1: That is a great question, and I think in a sense it almost happened without me realizing it. Mm. I think. When I was in school and shortly afterwards, I didn't have a concrete goal that this is exactly (laughs) what I want to do, but I've had the opportunity, I think, to do a lot of different things, sometimes things that don't seem as if they helped to get me here at all, Mm. but I think something that I've always found useful is whatever you are doing, to view it as like it can't be a wasted Endeavor. Um, Like, as an example, I went to the farm right after graduation, and you know, advisors or some of my classmates were saying, Oh, well, you know, you'll do this for a year and then you'll realize what it's all about and you'll want to go to graduate school. Mm. And I thought, Well, maybe. (laughs) But (laughs) (laughs) if that happens, I still explored it and I still had the opportunity to learn things through that experience. And another big piece of advice I would say is to not be afraid to ask or to try, even if it looks like there isn't an opportunity there. Mm. Um, My dad had this old cartoon framed on his wall wherever we lived that was a cat walking along a fence. And he was saying, you got to make calls if you want to get results, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds kind of silly, but it's true. And when I think back, some of the things I've done were with groups or businesses that didn't advertisers say that they were looking for somebody to do one specific thing. But Mm -hmm. um, the paper is a great example. So I worked for my college paper all four years, but I couldn't picture myself in the world of journalism. But I was reading the Lincoln County News every week, and I really liked what they were doing. And my farm season was coming to an end. And they weren't advertising anything, but I just emailed them to see if they needed help. And they said, well, actually... (laughs) We have a full-time reporter opening. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, that's how that came about. So I think it sounds like a bit of a cliche when people tell you, you know, the worst someone can say is no. (laughs) Because it it could be maybe a little worse than that. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. um, I think trying and trying again, and even if your options feel limited, going into whatever you do, thinking that something good can come of it
0: yeah we can't
1: lead you that wrong i think
0: yeah i mean that's i think just such a powerful you know even if it seems the sort of cliche to like reach out but i think it it is really powerful and and like you said um just reaching out to the the lincoln county newspaper and who knew right (laughs) And and there you go and and i feel like that's that's so awesome and i definitely hear that story a lot but i i think it's always nice to sometimes have those like tactile examples um to be like yeah we can all do this
1: yeah (laughs) Yeah. and I think that's something I appreciate about Maine as well you know maybe if I were living in a big city and I called someone up and I said hey do you want to hire me that might be different (laughs) (laughs) that's very fair Um, and maybe that's not true but it is something I appreciate about being here that the interactions you can have with people or even just the
0: community connections can really pan out into things you weren't expecting Yeah. And and kind of following up like on that main track. So when when did you come back to Maine or it seemed like you kind of visited throughout your life. But when are you a full time Mainer now, it sounds like. (laughs) So that was kind of a journey, which
1: also maybe ties into the theme of, you know, to not give up. (laughs) Um, So I graduated from college in 2021 in the spring and then I was farming in Michigan that season. I took a couple months off trying to figure out how to get here. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did get a job here that had housing and then that fell through in early 2022. So I had a bit of a thing where I had to, you know, crawl back to my parents' house and think, Mm. I don't know what's gonna happen next. Um, But it did work out. So I've been here full-time since the early spring of 2022.
0: Nice. Yeah. Very cool, yeah. And and you're kind of said like in the Lincoln County area, so a little bit more, I think, geographically, a little bit more southern than some of our WER viewers, but probably. I do. I get the station right to Wiscasset, and then it cuts out. So, <laughs> but yeah, yes, you're on the edge, yeah, for sure, <laughs> right on the edge. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, and and yeah, it seems like the the main kind of spirit, and I, I it's always really cool to sometimes hear people's perspectives, especially if they're, you know, haven't lived in Maine their whole life, like, what, what are those things that, that have drawn you back to Maine? Yeah, that's a great question. I was a little
1: concerned about it at first being someone who didn't grow up here. Mm -hmm. I have some reason to be here, I I guess, but, you know, (laughs) it is, it is something. Um, And I was really pleasantly surprised by, I guess, how warm people are and, Mm -hmm in terms of what drew me, I wish that I had a less metaphysical answer, but it was kind of just always in my head that I was like, oh, that's where I need to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, there is community wherever you go, but I do appreciate, um, I love living in a smaller area. I love being around longstanding community. And that's been a nice thing through the paper is I get to experience like all these different facets of that um I think so I will say that they don't they don't pay me to be a a cultural theorist so (laughs) 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 I may kind of stumble over this part um but I think there is something about the I don't know the the way people live or approach life here that I appreciate I think it feels in large part, kind of down to earth, I guess, and Mm -hmm. um, I I never really felt like I fit somewhere before. Oh, and I I do here, actually.
0: You are listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour on WERU. And you are listening to a conversation I had with Elizabeth Waltzoni, a local reporter. And we continue our conversation of main identity and community. I mean, I think I think that's it's so hard to feel like why we're drawn to a place or or if we have really strong roots. i I find that there's often the two kind of approach to people who end up in Maine is people who have long generational ties, have been in the same community for, you know, three or four generations. Or you have people who, you know, come to Maine in different ways and I think often stay because of something, like he said, that untangibleness, um, which I think is also really special and, and I think, you know, being in, in smaller communities is definitely something that I always feel called back to, um, with Maine and, and I think that there's kind of a charm of independent people kind of just doing their own thing, which I definitely. really appreciate. Definitely I feel like a, a lot of entrepreneurship in Maine. Um but yeah and I'm so fascinated to hear a little bit more about kind of your journalistic approach cuz when we were sitting down you were you were saying how often you're in the position of the the interview v- interviewer <laughs> um so it just yeah what are what are some takeaways or maybe highlights from from your job that you've got to be a part of so far I Could talk about that for hours, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. We on a
1: good topic. (laughs) Stay tuned in. Um, So I've been at the paper for just over a year. And I mentioned earlier that part of the model that this newspaper has is everything that's happening, Mm -hmm. which is great because some larger papers will have someone who's their business reporter and someone who's their education reporter. And we assign each reporter a number of towns. Oh,
0: cool. It's great,
1: yeah. So that means I go to their select board meetings, their planning board meetings, their school board, and then I do new business, human interest, and breaking news. So something that's been interesting to me is that I have these long continuing stories through municipal government coverage. Mm-hmm. And people will joke around with me a lot when I, sh- you know, they at their night meetings and I usually have one every weeknight. And, then, <laughs> and, you know, they'll say, oh, you must be so bored. I bet you wish you were at home right now. But I actually really love um, I mean some of the details are very minute. You know, I, I know a lot about paving and like <laughs> <laughs> wonder project yeah, and you know, tax overlays. Um but I also see the same board members every week, every other week actually, um and things like paving a parking lot, you know. Mm. So I, I have that long connection and I can see how that part of the town functions. And then with my features, I'm kind of in and out of somebody's life a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Often I already know who they are, and almost always I run into them again somewhere else. But there's a difference between those stories that continue and the things you drop in and out of, which surprised me, but has been a nice variety. Um, And I think it's nice to... Something I say when I meet somebody and they ask about my job and you, know, you have a little spiel that you do, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's like having a license to ask questions or to be mm. curious. So I guess I'll do a little plug here. But <laughs> one that, one story I really enjoyed doing was about a bean collection that I saw in the exhibit hall at Windsor Fair. And then I saw it again in um, Unity at Common Ground, and the tag just said, The Friends of Sam Birch, Jefferson. And there wasn't any contact information. I couldn't find anything online. Interesting. And, and yeah. these
0: were just, like, dried beans? Yes.
1: <laughs> they were little plastic tubs of dried beans.
0: <laughs> nice. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, like 20 to 30 different <laughs> little beans. <laughs> and all these colors and varieties and so I ended up playing kind of email the hopscotch with I think five or six people until I found the woman who keeps this seed collection alive so it was a man in Whitefield who had 300 varieties of beans and his friend took it up when he died and um I'm not sure that if some stranger emailed me and was like, hey, so so so-and-so told me that so-and-so, so-and-so, can I come to your house? (laughs) But she did, and so I got to um, go out there and see all the places that those beans go, and I learned all about the bean collecting world, and there's also school gardens that are growing them and seed saving with these heritage varieties. So I think that's one example of this real variety of what is happening in kind of i mean it's not a small county but you might think oh it's oh small rural town maine but there's so many things happening i mean you could never run out of things to talk
0: about that's awesome i think that's it's such a cool kind of to hear about like like you were saying kind of this curiosity that you've had has you know led you to uncover this like you know this process that maybe a lot of people aren't aware of um and it's almost like preserving a bit of that culture of um, and, and I'm not to like assume, but um, I'm wondering if like kind of drying the beans to like preserve the different species and like kind of carry them on. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I think I think it's also something that you struck me is just this idea of sometimes small towns like I feel like have a bit of a reputation. I think Maine itself, because it's made up of predominantly small towns and i would say we have a couple maybe you could say cities but <laughs> on like paper. <laughs> on paper on yeah. paper but are probably to anyone who lives in like a big city would be like that's just a large town yeah. um but but you struck me by saying that there's there's nothing there's there's so much to talk about and I, I think it's really interesting because I think there's often a perspective of of young people in Maine, and that there there isn't always a lot happening and going on. So I think it's really interesting to hear someone who's here who who doesn't have that perspective. That it's there's a lot.
1: Yeah, that's you know, people ask me when I came here, kind of what I was doing because. <laughs> <laughs> it's, A lot of people wonder, yes. Yeah, Um, because I was living in a city where I went to college. And I will say I think it probably depends a little bit on who you are and what you're interested in. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of nightlife, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a whole lot of, you know, (laughs) things like that. But um, I, this is kind of a running joke we had in college about um, – so I studied – geography and mostly human geography which I could also talk about at length but it's kind <laughs> of <laughs> it's like an interdisciplinary thing of like how people and culture move and change and it's it's physical it's history and it's economic Very and cool. yeah and so we'd always talk about like anybody that you talk to has all of this behind them getting them to be there with you Mm. And so we would joke about like oh I'm always collecting and analyzing data you know about <laughs> other people but yeah um, I think if you can find all those things interesting there is something to learn or enjoy in a lot of a lot of what you do even in smaller or quieter towns I think mm-hmm. there's also probably challenges to living in the place you grew up in that i just didn't experience um and it's easy to think oh you know moving around was so difficult and Mm -hmm. i'm not from anywhere but um so that is something that i guess i can't really speak to
0: but um
1: no i definitely don't feel bored
0: Yeah, well, that's, I mean, I think that's a, it's a cool insight to have in it. I think, like you said, I'm sure if, you know, for some people who, who have only explored one area, I think it is, yeah, it's hard to sometimes feel like you want to, you have that itch to go out and um explore but if you move around a lot as a kid and I, I also moved around a fair bit yeah. so yeah. I also kind of relate to that um energy of feeling like you're from everywhere and nowhere and being like well I don't know like yeah <laughs> like I'm just kind of finding my place wherever that may be right um or some people like I have friends who are definitely like oh, I have to get out of this town like yeah. it's my grandparents and my parents have been here I just need space yeah um but I think that's it's it is cool i think to to find that community also and to actively choose a community as well
1: definitely and i think choosing to live with the challenging parts of community too yeah do you want to <laughs> speak
0: about that <laughs> i th- i think we never i feel like it's such a valuable point as well i
1: am still kind of working through it because i'm still settling in in a way but mm-hmm. Um I certainly have you know I go to the grocery store and I always see somebody that I <laughs> interviewed or mm-hmm. I met somewhere or you know um and so you don't have that anonymity that you do in a larger city but mm-hmm. I think that I'm still thinking <laughs> Um I think there's a trade-off to that and the idea that you know people you know know what you do and will see you where you go and how you act in the world is something that there's I don't know that accountability is the right word but there's someone watching I guess <laughs> yeah <laughs> um which is not necessarily a bad thing
0: no but it I, I think it depends also like on your personality and right and how how that Feels. right um especially being a young person I think that there's so much growth you do that it can be a little scary if you're like oh my gosh everyone's gonna know that I like crashed my car <laughs> yeah. or something you know? <laughs> or that I went on a really bad date with this person right. you know?
1: <laughs> and now I'm gonna see them
0: everywhere forever <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and um That's something I've kind of been learning for the first time, because Mm. I think I had it a little bit when I was living in New Mexico. We stayed there long enough that there was a bit, but I think there's also the idea that sometimes who you are at a certain point in your life
0: can be how people will see you forever. Oh, fascinating. I've never thought of that like that, but that's, it's a cool thought. I mean, I don't know if I like the thought, but 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 I think that's a fair, fair point.
1: Yeah, so... Um, I think it is when people talk about community in like a very warm sense, it is a warm, warm thing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it's kind of going to be really rosy and really easy all the time, Mm -hmm. but it's still worth being part of or finding a way through. So yeah, Yeah. I'm still, still developing my theory on that
0: one, but yeah, Yeah. that's, um, glad you mentioned that because it's. Yeah, I think it's been something I've just been thinking a lot about um, these past couple of months of what it means to be part of a community. And of course, we're part of a community radio station, yeah. um, which is just... But I think, yeah, it's community can be wonderful, but it's it's not always easy or perfect. And I think that's also part of being human and definitely living <laughs> with other humans. <laughs> um, it's kind of crazy to say, but we are slowly but surely winding down. For a half hour, I know. Um, this has been just so interesting to hear. And so kind of how I like usually wind down in mm-hmm. an interview is a little bit of um, more reflection. <laughs> I, I enjoy reflection. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> um, and if there's, usually we kind of picture like a, uh, a time if there was any advice um, that you'd like to give to a younger version of yourself. And what that might be, um, it could be very specific, or if you have a or a certain age in mind. Um, but I'll leave that if there's anything that jumps to mind. <laughs> I really
1: like that question because it is something I think about a lot, um, and I may have said some of this earlier too. But I feel that you know I was a little nervous about getting older. Mm. I mean, I'm 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 young, but you know, growing up about. Um, what the world would be like. And I've actually really been surprised at how much is possible and how exciting it can be. Mm. So I think I would tell myself to try to be excited rather than afraid. Um, that, you know, things will be challenging, but they can be challenging in a fruitful way. And also I think to when you're figuring out what to do in, in most situations, kind of f- like follow what you know has some purpose, whether that's for you or for some somebody else. So in my case, that example might be the writing um, that for a while I had kind of put it away, but it was, I don't know, it's just, I think the word feeling is a little soft to use in this case, but <laughs> um, how things add up in your mind to try to be going towards something rather than just away from other things. Mm. Um and if that is concise enough.
0: Yeah, like almost having a sort of target or vision that you're working toward.
1: Right. And it doesn't have to be a concrete thing. You know, it doesn't right. have to be.
0: <laughs> which really I do wish someone had told me because I
1: had thought for a long time, oh, I don't have a job title that I know I want one day. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, work is a big part of your life, but it's not all that your life is. Right. And so I think being open to how things develop while, you know, kind of, Keeping that hope and like, focus, and maybe intention too, in the things you do, and just um, you don't need to be too afraid.
0: Yeah, yeah. That well, that I think that was wonderful advice, and I think hopefully our listeners have so many wonderful things to think about. I think you are definitely super eloquent, and I can oh. see how you're a journalist. You <laughs> definitely have um, a great kind of framework and thank it's been you. really fun to listen to you think <laughs> for uh, lack of better words.
1: Well, thank you so much. It's been great to be here and um yeah, it actually wasn't hard not being the interviewer at all. So,
0: you know what? I did my job. I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> well, thank you. You are listening to the Next Wave Radio Hour on W E R U. My next guest is music teacher Phelan Gallagher. We discuss the realities of being a young musician, traveling and finding your calling, and being an educator.
2: Uh, My name is Phelan Gallagher, uh, and I use he, him pronouns, and I am the music director music teacher um, at George Stevens Academy. So um, just took that job over from a legendary guy who had been here, Steve Orlovsky, for many, many years, my former teacher, and I took this over
0: uh, three years ago. Wow, that's so awesome. I think it's funny, actually, some of my best friends all went into music education are really? just graduating and kind of getting their first gigs. So it feels kind of right at home to be to be back in like a music classroom yeah so. were you a band kid I was a band awesome. kid for sure <laughs> <Kit> does it show <laughs> <laughs> there's a feeling yeah yeah you know band kids yeah. for sure and and you were just mentioning just since we happen to be in this space that you also went to this school
2: I did yeah class of oh two what what? um and uh yeah it's a, it's a really remarkable for people that, that don't know about the music program at GSA you know we're kind of a small rural school in in the woods of maine but the um the music program is just one of the things that's always been um a hallmark of the school and and honestly just phenomenal the quality um so i was fortunate when i was here way back when that there was just an abundance of kids who were serious who really wanted to play um we had a lot of fun but it was always you know it's always been a pretty serious music program where there's Mm -hmm. a few people at least at a given time who are like really focused really working hard and and that's my job is to continue that continue that legacy so
0: (laughs) so far so good yeah yeah do you do you guys do like um competitions at all yeah yeah
2: yeah so um maine has a has a really cool at the state level jazz high school jazz scene too which is Mm -hmm. for some people like if you're not familiar you're like what um excuse me but um that's been going strong since before I was even in high school, uh, 30 years or so. And we go to the district festival, so the state's divided up into districts. Um, and then you go to the state festival. And, I mean, it's it's really remarkable. If, if you've never seen it or, or, or you're interested in jazz and you're not aware of this, in this phenomenon in Maine, you know, check out the Maine State uh, Festival because it's open to the public. It's in March, and there are always, you know— a handful of groups uh, MDI is an amazing program Freiburg um, GSA Hamden there's there's too many schools but to name but just you know the quality of the music is, is professional you feel like you're at a, at a show and, and so it's always fun it's great to work here um, in our little space but I feel like going out and seeing the other kids and having that kind of bigger community is always the most kind of powerful part, and I still keep in touch with with kids that I like competed, quoted quote unquote competed <laughs> against awesome. in high yeah. school. So it's it's also like a network, you know, if you go into this work. So.
0: Yeah, that's <clears> so <throat> exciting. So, were you a part of the jazz band?
2: Very much so. I was. I was full on jazz uh, at like, 14, which is funny. Uh, my dad's <laughs> nice. a, a jazz bass player, so oh, there you go. so there was a lot of exposure early. Um, I actually studied with Steve Orlovsky privately who you know on saxophone mm. um and John Cooper actually who who was oh, the yep. former uh, COA music teacher so you know I had a lot of exposure early but um but I, I you know I kind we took there was a group of us that kind of made it our own scene and you know we weren't only playing sort of traditional you know 50s 60s jazz we yeah. were we were beginning to kind of investigate how to use those principles and those Mm -hmm. ideas to make our own music even at that age and i you know it's many of us are still doing it um one of the things that's so exciting and thrilling to me is to see like the generation of jazz musicians who i think are just coming up right now Mm -hmm. who have like fully you know broken down a lot of sort of barriers or 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 Mm -hmm. um, kind of constraints about what the music could be and are really taking it in some fascinating directions so jazz lives it's still being innovated, you know, Absolutely. and this generation has like even crazier, cooler ideas about how to do that.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's actually kind of ironic because the class I was um, running a bit late to for this interview was my jazz ensemble. Oh, class. really? Awesome. Yeah. So so that's been I've been living in the jazz world. So I feel like I'm like, yeah, this is right up my alley. And it's, it's really cool to just, yeah, I feel like be a part of the ensemble. And if people haven't been a part of an ensemble, um, I don't know it's just like it's one of those feelings that you just you just can't describe
2: for sure yeah I mean and I'm a big proponent of all music you know it's like I try I went to music school and you get you Mm -hmm. get sort of tracked um usually you know classical jazz and yep (laughs) and you know there's reasons for that ultimately it's like I think there's it's a little unfortunate because there's like missed opportunities it's more about the differences than maybe the overlaps and Mm -hmm. um And so I feel like both, all different musics have a lot to learn from each other. And yeah, to your point, like the experience of playing jazz and truly improvising and starting to understand what that language is and what it really does mean to be like with a group of people kind of very present and very open and and inventing something in real time i mean that's like a buzz that's you see kids i see kids get that experience even now and you know like oh man that's going to be with you like (laughs) (laughs) now you've got the bug and you're gonna it's gonna you know follow you so that's what we're trying to do yeah
0: that's so awesome um so i guess kind of just hearing about your own journey it sounds like really in the music scene and then and what made you kind of want to get into education
2: yeah that's um, a great question I'm not <coughs> excuse me somebody who was you know envisioned myself as an educator really until uh, later on um, so I went to undergrad I left graduated from GSA as you know too as I said I went to um, New Orleans to pursue an undergrad degree oh, cool. at Loyola University um, you know I wanted to study music. I wanted to to focus on that. I also just, to be honest, was like, wow, that climate looks amazing <laughs> after <laughs> yeah. living in Maine. So that's fair. So, and I was right. You know, it was a really good contrast, um, cultural experience, all of that. So, yeah. Fast forward to to 06. I graduated from uh, undergrad, and I did some traveling, and was still very much in the mindset of like, you know, let's let's make this work. Let's let's figure out how to be a performing musician. And I traveled. Um, to Brazil, you know, on a sort of tour of different places, mostly to stay with a buddy who was down there, but ostensibly to do a recording with this mentor that he had met, who was this guy named Denisio Gias, who turns out is sort of this unknown, but, um, you know, unknown to the world, but within Mm -hmm. this community in Brazil, specifically like the Bossa Nova um, scene, like just renowned, like this this legendary guy. And and so it was really a striking experience. humbling in the sense that he was older and nobody knew who he was you know so kind of that 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 phenomenon of like wow you really can be one of the greatest musicians in the world and maybe still not like not be famous or have made it so to speak yeah but it was profound for me because he was like one of the most humble Mm -hmm. um he lived really by our standards in poverty i mean it was like Mm -hmm. a little hut that he had and he um but he seemed like somebody who had really embodied you know more than just being an artist, like it was kind of how he lived his life. It wasn't like he picked up his guitar and he was a musician. It was like he was just like living this artistic life and all mm. of his aspects of his life were this way. And um, and he was a teacher. So he would go to this like community school in this little town, Patos Minas, which is sort of like in the interior of Brazil um, in Minas Gerais, which is the larger kind of province. Um, and yeah, he was just like teaching kids how to Mm -hmm. play music, you know, no ego, um, no pretension about what was happening, just like being this kind of ambassador to people, to music, to bring them to this thing that he obviously was just like fully obsessed and immersed in. And, um, and it was like, it was cool. You know, I think I had a vision of, you know, maybe culturally for us, it's like the star and you get to that point mm. and you everyone knows your name yeah. and you have an entourage and you get to pick the <laughs> music or the tour dates or whatever Yeah, and it was just like a different version of this of like mm-hmm. what it could be mean to be a really incredible world-class musician Um, but be fulfilled in these other ways. So mm-hmm. that's like, you know, yeah <clears throat> the, There were many things, but that was one person who I saw teaching and it kind of embodied it in a different way than I had seen before. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, let's let's explore this. Did a little bit of teaching on the side. And that led to, you know, one thing led to another to kind of open this door. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds like such a wonderful experience that you had. And, and kind of how old were you when you were having this, like traveling yeah. around? Yeah,
2: that was like 25, 24. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I... <laughs> Had a little, took a little time off college as some of us do. And I did actually, that was another experience that was, that was shaping for me um, because I went on tour with sort of like a punk rock outfit from Boston that a friend was in and there were saxophones, which is weird. Like we were the saxophone players, (laughs) but it was like part of this like, (laughs) um, you know, uh, rockabilly kind of like Mm. ska scene. I think it overlapped with that music. So there were saxophones in any case. Yeah. Uh, they lit our saxophones on fire. It was it was the what? craziest experience I've ever had. <laughs> probably. Um, and, you know, a good experience, but but also sobering in terms of like I mean, it was like nine guys sleeping in a sprinter van. Mm. We didn't even have hotels. So it was rough, you know, yeah. and I was I think eyes open again to like, yeah. oh, this really could be you know, this is a part of the process of becoming a professional musician you you, most people have to put their time in doing that Mm -hmm. and I think I was surprised at how (laughs) sort of uh uncomfortable it was and how much I was like this isn't exactly what I want to do so
0: right it's um, a little unglamorous you know for
2: sure and and you know there aren't a lot of shortcuts I feel like most people you know my brother's a professional musician and um and he's you know spent a lot of hours I think doing that you know and so you kind of you have to make peace with that as, as being part of your lifestyle, I think, if that's solely what you want to do. So mm-hmm. a lot of that added up to let's go back to school. I went back to um, graduate school at Hunter in New York City, uh, Hunter College, oh, and got a yeah. you know master's in music education uh, when I was like, yeah, probably 25. Um, so a little pivot, but yeah. um, but ultimately a nice way to, you know stay in music and leverage the work the, the studies I had already done in the work I, yeah. I had already done some people you know you kind of pivot to like all right time to go back to med school or law right. school this yeah, music yeah, thing yeah. isn't working out so I felt it felt good to kind of um to stay with that trajectory and just kind yeah. of adjust slightly you that's know? awesome yeah
0: yeah and so and so now you're back in Maine and, and kind of what did that journey look like it seemed yeah. like you're, you were obviously went to college at and not in Maine both right. times. So,
2: yeah, I went, um, you know, as I said, I went straight to New Orleans. That was like uh, 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 almost like a knee jerk, like just I want the opposite of what I've had growing up in rural Maine. And I loved growing up here. But, you know, it was like I knew culturally we were yeah. isolated. I knew just regionally we were isolated. It was cold. I was like, let's see something else. Mm-hmm. Um I went after that. Like I said, I went to New York um, City for, for grad school, which I think was just sort of, you know, New Orleans is such a jazz city. I was intrigued yeah, to see, sure. like, what is that? Um, and, and, you know, that's a whole that was really um, it's one of the most interesting, certainly cities in America. It like mm. doesn't feel like you're in America, <laughs> you know, or in the United yeah. States. And um so New York I think was also just maybe like a bucket list place like I just knew this is historically like culturally artistically one of the most creative places on the planet. I can dovetail getting a degree with living there for a couple of years. Yeah. Um so those were kind of bucket you know just think places I wanted to live. Um yeah, it little it meandered a little bit, you know as it does. I met my now wife when we were in when I was in New York City. Um and so uh, sh- and we're, we both happened to be Mainers. It was like a oh, funny wow, New York hilarious. City Brooklyn party that was just exclusively people from Maine, <laughs> like ex-pat <laughs> nice. Mainers. Ex- um, yeah, ex-Mainers. Nice. So. <laughs> so we bonded over that and started dating, and and she had she left the city and uh, moved to Vermont. So mm-hmm. I I kind of followed her up there. That was my first job, you know, the transition from urban living back to rural living, which we were both feeling like okay, maybe yeah, maybe where we were from wasn't so you know. There's some cool benefits to being in the woods, and yeah, we lived in Vermont for like three or four years, and mm. I, I loved it. It's gorgeous. The proximity to um, New York and some of that stuff is is great. The fact that the ocean was nowhere to be oh, seen. I, yep. I lost my mind in the summers. Oh, no. um, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, just, I guess if you grow up here or, or uh, yeah. the way that I did, at least that's just like, what do you do in the summer? You're like, it's like you're something to do with the ocean Yeah, exactly. Uh, and um, especially being a teacher where you have that time off. Yeah. You know, there were months <laughs> of just like sitting around and oh, being like, no. I don't know. So I pushed real hard. Um, fortunately, uh, my wife was, uh, you know, excited too to get back to Maine. So nice. that we lasted four years. And then we and then we began our journey uh, back to Maine. And we mm-hmm. you know, we did what a lot of people do. We moved to southern Maine Yep. jobs, and she went to grad school um, at USM. So spent some time in Harpswell, Brunswick area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the goal was always to get back to the Blue Hill Peninsula. You know, I it's, it's got its hooks in me big time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard place. Uh, it can be a challenging place to find work that you know is fulfilling like right. i feel like that's the compromise that a lot of people make uh, unfortunately but yeah but realistically to be here at least earlier in your life and mm-hmm. um so that was w- a big part of what kind of we took our time and um and honestly, we, we, we moved here before this guy, Steve, Mr. O mm-hmm. retired, but I knew uh, it was like on the horizon. Yeah, I was, I was one of probably a handful of people f- alum that would get the updates, you know, like, right. all right, we heard Steve, you know, maybe yeah, two yeah, yeah. more years. So <laughs> that was for sure on my radar. Um, And, and though that wasn't the first thing job I had when we were back here, I kind of knew that I would go after that when it came up and it did. And yeah, I feel fortunate that it worked out, you know, it's, it's a, Uh, It can be one of those things that I think looks obvious or to other people. You know, I've had a lot of people that were like, of course you were going to be Mr. (laughs) I'll tell you, like, you know, to go through that firsthand, you really feel like you're it's not a guarantee as it shouldn't be. You know, there were great applicants and there's still moments where I'm kind of like, wow, that was that was threading a needle. You know, that it's one of the only jobs around that I think, uh, you know, really leverages all of my experience and skill set in the way that Mm I want to. So. Yeah, I feel like timing was a big part of how that all, how it's come together.
0: Absolutely. I think that's just a great life lesson, timing and everything.
2: Yeah. Um, There was definitely a little bit of like, you know, people say like, let it, you know, life has a way of of working out. I don't know that I'm somebody that sort of defaults (laughs) to that assumption (laughs) in my own life, but it had a lot of that. You know, I've certainly spent years or times wondering or worrying or thinking, will this work out? And, you know. It wasn't in my control, but, but it does feel in hindsight, like it sort of had, it's a natural, um, like it was going to happen. So uh, who knows?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I know. It's one Uh of those, like, is there a plan? Is there not a plan? Right. Right. Do we have free will? (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess I'm just so curious and and we'll, we'll just wrap up with a couple last questions, but what has been the biggest takeaway or like maybe if there was like a story or a really impressionable moment being an educator and Mm. if something comes to mind
2: wow that's tough yeah i mean there's a lot i've been teaching for for like 12 13 years now you know so they add up um those those experiences Um, i you know i i taught at a school for a little while in southern maine that sadly has since closed um Mm. and it was a charter school and so it was it was sort of experimental, we'll say it was, on yeah. the, you know, it was, it was very progressive in some of the ideals that it was, um, trying to put into practice. And that was, that was really interesting for me because, um, I had worked in a public school. My first job was like Vermont rural public school, kind of akin to GSA, but yeah. the public version of that, um, band and, and so forth. And then I veered into this, you know, project-based experiential charter school. I mean, we were out, We literally didn't have a building at one point. It was just a very, you know, it was an experiment. Uh, The Liberty School was here for many years and it reminded me in some ways, I think, of what that school was like, at least Mm -hmm. back in the day. And it was um, remarkable because it was the most idealistic, like passionate group of people that I've ever worked with. (laughs) Nice. And, you know, to be blunt, like five years later, it was Uh, a lot of burnt out exhausted people (laughs) yeah you know with broken dreams (laughs) so to speak (laughs) so it was uh that's maybe not like a individual teaching experience but it Mm -hmm. was a good lesson for me in like you know this is passion-based work this is like I don't think you talk to many teachers who are like I'm doing it for the money I'm doing it for this or that you know um and it's 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 it can be it's exhausting work i mean work in general maybe <laughs> is exhausting but yeah. it's it's hard work if you're really if you're really trying to connect with st- all the students and you're really trying to you know meet all of those needs and so it was it was a lesson for me really i guess just about burnout and about saying mm-hmm. like you know this isn't this is a marathon not a sprint maybe yep. is a way of thinking about it and the the energy, at least that I had in my late twenties and thirties to early thirties to be like, I'm going to come and fix this whole system, (laughs) like education writ large, (laughs) watch out was like, you know, I've shifted and and I, and Mm. I try to pace myself and I try to, um, understand that I'm only as helpful as like, you know, I'm healthy and and sane and I can be here and be present for the kids. So, so that's something at least at this phase in my life that I'm really trying to like incorporate this into the bigger, picture and and context of my life and not have it you know be the thing that defines everything about me which is hard you know because I think we're taught that that is maybe what work is and so you know Mm -hmm. I find that (coughs) even inside myself there are moments where I'm like I gotta sacrifice this is a game (laughs) of you know and it's like I think everybody can can win maybe in the end or like that's what we have to try, especially in a field like education, keeping people who are really passionate and and excited um, long term engaged in their work, I think requires that and and real conscientious thinking about um, what are my limits? Like, what can I bring Mm -hmm. to this and where do I have to like step back and go to the other things that uh, for me, you know, playing my own music is important. It's like you know i still have a creative practice and i think if i let that go it would hurt my my teaching practice
0: mhm that makes a lot of sense i i hope some of my friends who've recently just graduated mm-hmm. and yeah and tell be, your friends to uh, <laughs> tune in some wise wise sage <laughs> advice from a from a veteran at right this on. point you right you
2: might have to learn it for yourself yeah, but, but, but you like know. yeah listen up
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. and kind of the last question that mm. we always throw to um, our guests is if there's any of v- advice that you could give to a younger version of yourself it doesn't have to be a particular age but maybe just something you picked up or or wish you knew sooner
2: yeah i mean i maybe i'll I'll pivot to like young musicians because i was just talking about education um but like you know i think um it's it's art and music making first of all are just like so incredibly important you know yeah. it's like is the thing and i think i think we've realized that but i think you know academic institutions are they are you feel a little bit sometimes like the weird you know you're trying to get squeezed into this format that like you know we struggle to assess art in music to be honest you know oh, it's subjective absolutely. like yeah. one, one person's idea of what's good is not the same as another yeah so um so one part is just that the value of that of that ambig- mm. uh, ambiguity of that um individuality you know Mm -hmm. like that is just at least one of the most important things about being human you know and so so I feel fired up about um being a voice for that and advocating for that in 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 like an academic environment in any sort of institutional setting um and I think the flip side and this is something that I you know I just sort of probably vacillate between these two um like you know, be crazy, have fun, break things, go wild, like explore. Versus also like you know, art is work. Yeah. <laughs> and so I saw that bumper <laughs> sticker the other day, and it was like probably just on a day where it caught me, and I was like, yeah, you know, it's like nobody, the way it's presented in our culture at least, culture at least, you know, it's very glamorous. You're Absolutely. you're just like living the dream and driving your fancy car, whatever. You know, it's <laughs> like all these people, Taylor Swift, anybody. You know, it's yeah. like they're just. Working so so hard and yes. and I think that you know We don't all have to be Taylor Swift. We don't have to be all to be, right. like legendary musicians But I think people are get confused sometimes like why mm-hmm. am I not better? Or why is mm-hmm. this not coming more naturally and it's like the answer? I'm telling this to myself while I'm saying <laughs> this to your audience too. It's just like it's just time. It's just work, yeah. you know It's just it's just being with the media the medium, you know if your medium is music you play a saxophone That's my instrument I've been playing for 20 plus years if I go a week without playing it's like it starts to feel a little foreign in my hands and then Mm. a week where you play every day and it opens up a new door so it really is like a like a time on task type of uh, project and I think artists you know professionals know this but like aspiring artists and creatives I think I struggled with that of just like this should be fun all the time and it's like you know not necessarily yeah
0: like you said, it's work. Yeah. It can be. It can sure. be.
2: You know. So both of those things are true and I think that's um that's important.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. I can see how your students must enjoy being in your classroom. Thank you. You got a great energy and <laughs> yeah, thanks so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming and thanks for doing this show. I think it's really important to you know, uh, uh, amplify the voices of youth and Maine needs. <laughs> we need more youth. <laughs> need keep more keep youth, coming, yeah. youth. So, yeah. Thank you very All much. All
0: right. Thank you. Right. Awesome. My name is Olivia Prook, and this has been the Next Wave Radio Hour. I wanted to give a huge thank you to my guests today, Elizabeth Waltzoni and Failing Gallinger. Thank you also to the Maine Community Foundation for supporting this program. Our theme music is by Zeke Saccharides. You can find the archive of this and every other episode of Next Wave at weru.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Please do go back and listen to them if you liked this episode. If you would like to get in touch, you can email nextwaveradio at weru.org. I would absolutely love to hear from you. I also wanted to mention that this is my last episode. It has been an absolute pleasure hosting Next Wave, and I cannot wait to see how it continues to evolve and grow. Next Wave Radio Hour airs generally on the fourth Thursday of every month at four. Until next time, take care and remember you are not alone. Stay tuned for more public affairs programming.